Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Really? No, really. Really? No, really. Hello, everybody. I am Jason Alexander here with my partner, Peter Tilden. And I know I always turn that over to you. I, I, you know, it's like you got to give me the big cue. Like, I wouldn't know who I know, you're like talking like, well, who's, who's he talking uh, you're to? You're new to show business. Welcome to our show, Really No Really, where we discuss the things that make us say, Really? No, really. Like the bell. Laurie, our producer, hates that friggin' bell. Really? So every time you look at her, look at her face. By the way, she looks mad when she's happy. When she's mad, so you deal. And with if it. I ring it one more time, I'll be right on cue because today's show. And by the way, it doesn't matter where you're joining us from. If you're watching on YouTube or the iHeart uh, uh, Podcast Network or uh, Apple, Apple, very or good. You did that you effortlessly. That boy, that rolled it rolls off. right off my tongue. Uh, no matter where you're watching us from, I will tell you that I take a risk every time I ring that bell because our producer, Lori, could run in here and wreak havoc. And today's theme happens to be risk, Peter. Risk. I know. I was doing the preparation. Oh, that's right. You were that guy. Yes. I uh, I feel like I took a little risk coming in here today. Seriously. And, and I mean this seriously. So it's raining out here in Los Angeles. I grew up on the East Coast. You grew up on the East Coast. Philadelphia. What? Yeah. Why can't people... On this coast, drive in rain. What happens? Why do you they want the real answer? Their danger, their 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 uh, 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 anticipation of the danger and the mayhem and the and the, the 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 shifts they make in their driving patterns and habits change so dramatically that it actually causes treacherous situations. Your thoughts? <laughs> May I say first, if you've never driven with Jason, he drives like a grandparent. Who needs to have the key taken what away? You, what? You know, the sad talk you have to have with the grandparent where it's, it's time. You're not driving anymore. That's number one. Number two. Wait, if, example that. What What are you talking about? Like what? I go too slow? Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? Oh, I go too slow. Mm-hmm. Oh, so my wife is wrong. Oh, she says you go too fast. Yeah, she needs, ten, she needs 10 car lengths between me and the car in front of me. Another reason why I won't drive with you and the wife. So Paul Munjin, better known as Mungo, cameraman for the last 25 plus years, 
Do I read this whole thing this way? It doesn't come close to yeah, capture. Come, go ahead. Give him the man has a the life. Give him his credits. Tell people who this man is. To say he that, lives off camera his entire life. Well, actually, not true. He had his own show, but most of his life he lived off camera. Tell Paul, people what he did. Paul, we've run out of time. <laughs> Paul Mungie, better known as Mungo, has worked as a cameraman for the last twenty-five plus years, but that doesn't come close to capturing this man's experience. He isn't a cameraman working on a back lot of some sitcom stage. No. Nor does he walk around... By the way, I don't like the way you said that, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Nor does he walk around with a news reporter capturing the tepid thrills of a three-alarm fire. No, No, the tepid thrill, unless you're in the three-alarm fire, then it's such a tepid experience, yeah. Mungo is a bit more extreme than that, way more extreme. He traveled over 95 countries. And by the way, while I'm prepping this thing, it's so funny. Any article they read, it's 70 countries, then it's 78 countries. Two minutes later... It's Since like we started this one, he's it's 97 countries. countries. I know. Um, filming for all the major broadcasters um, with the biggest name. He did Bear Grylls. He also had on Will Ferrell, Ben Stiller, Kate Winslet, who can hold her breath for over seven minutes. Nine, 19 and a half Amazing. minutes. Sam, yes. Simon Cowell and Charlie Borman. Following his demand and adventure TV, Mungo has now stepped in front of the camera and for the first time has his own adventures on his own show, which we're talking about. He's written books and all. Let's let's say hi to Paul. Hello there. Mungo, how are you, sir? Welcome hi, to guys. No, Really. Thank you very much for having me. I'm exhausted from your credits. You look, <laughs> you're that guy. Were you always an advert, like as a kid? Did, or did you, or were you the one who licked the socket, you know what I mean, put the thing in <laughs> to see with the electricity? Were you a risk taker, like, for right out of the crib? Um, do you know what? I've never been asked that. I mean, I, I was adventurous, and you know, I was always very sporty, and I loved, uh, I love always taking the risk. I loved being the one out there. Um, I loved playing rugby. And and I think all my experience was about trying to f- perform in the moment. So whether you're under pressure, also with adventure sports like surfing, which I loved, um, it was all about you had to perform in that moment. So, yeah, so all the way through my childhood, I did I did some silly things, silly things. And I lived to like, tell the tale. Like? Well, yeah, well, what was one of the stupidest? Like on a dare? Was it kind of no, like... No, no, hey, no. No, this is my own dare to myself. That's how stupid really? I am. No, just the other day, I was watching my son, Gus, who's five years old, and he was uh, tying himself to the banisters of our stairs. Uh, I live in Bristol here in a, a house which is 100 years old. So he got quite high stairs, and he was just tie- tying himself on. Unfortunately, I managed to get to him before he kind of threw himself over. But that's what I did when I was a kid. So he was literally... Wait, his-, was the, he, what, his idea was he was going to... He was going to lash himself to the banister and then hop over and the rail jump. to see if it would hold yeah, him. Yeah, because that's what he sees everybody doing. <laughs> it's Tom Cruise. Oh, so it's a yeah, Tom, it's Tom Cruise. Cruise. Uh, exactly. You have a lawsuit for Tom Cruise right wow. now. Wow. Yeah, so, and so what do you, okay, not to break their spirit, because my parents, anytime they saw me do anything, cutting with a knife, they'd go, don't overheat. That was my, my don't overheat was the line. Okay, so no sports, no running, don't accelerate. So you, being Mr. Adventure Pants, how do you have the talk with a kid that doesn't break his spirit I, I, I let him do it, but I let him do it safely. So, so for example, I made, a con- I made a conscious decision to teach Gus, who's just turned five, how to light a fire. And um, and so I, ah, I, I've done that. Excellent parenting. Hey, Paul, <laughs> Mungo, let me, let me interrupt for one second. You might want to just do earmuffs for a second. Call the authorities. <laughs> Call the authorities. You know, you taught a five-year-old <laughs> how, to light a fire. how to light a fire. Oh my! God. In Bristol, England. <laughs> right. This is not. This is not so like the backwoods. This is not like they're out camping. He's the kid's hanging from the banister when he goes. While you're up there, let me teach you how to light a fire. And by the way, 
it's good that you take a kid who's going to jump off a banister right. and is predisposed to that to say, you know what, <laughs> flame. Yeah. Flame next, and then, yeah. and then knives, and shrapnel. Way, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. All right. And then small wow. explosives. Wow. We're back with Paul Mungo Munching. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Paul. So you taught him to light a fire. Yes. That's right. Excellent and, and then also things like using a knife, because I, I, I figure that if he's, not <laughs> throwing, if he's not throwing himself <laughs> off something, if he's not trying to light a fire, yeah. If he's not, yeah. You know, if he finds a knife lying around, which kids do, you know, they find them. You know, yeah, they can't see the drawer. They pick out a big knife. Sure. I, I figure that it's worth teaching him correctly of how to handle it, how to use it, and then kind of give him boundaries. And so far, so good. I mean, yeah. Like, unless he turns on you with the knife after you lay down the boundaries. You know, when like... I teach my kids to, <laughs> when I teach my kid to use a knife is maybe when he turns thirty-seven. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, but that's interesting. You know, in in Reading about risk-taking, the fascinating thing about it, I wonder if you experience this too, without risk-taking, when business and whatever, innovation doesn't usually happen. Of course. So, so it's fascinating that guys who are not risk-takers are not necessarily in, innovators. And does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, if you sit on your hands, if you don't put yourself out there and have different experiences, you don't grow in character, the attitude of all the team that I work with has got to be a kind of gun-ho but safely gung-ho within perimeters, like I teach Gus. Yeah. And it's all about having that can-do attitude. And one of the reasons why I love working with Americans in America is that it's your natural kind of can-do attitude. Yeah, if you, my dad used to say, my dad used to work in America a lot as a publisher. And he used to say what he loved was that the Americans always have a glass half full attitude whereas the Brits or the Europeans will often have a glass half-empty attitude. And I love that. And I love to be surrounded by people who kind of go, well, why can't we do that? You know, what's stopping us? Let's give it a go. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it may have been a while since you last visited the United States, <laughs> yeah. uh, but thank you for thank And by the way, assessment. you're talking to two people whose parents said there is no glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't don't, don't glass. break the glass. Yeah, please, get, don't run, please. you're going to break the glass, which is why I'm not a risk taker. So I understand that you, you, you know, you're born with this curiosity to push yourself, but you made your living essentially with a camera. So where did the... How did the connection between, oh, I like doing this stuff, now let me do it with a camera, how did that come to be? Interesting one, actually. I mean, at, at school, I was definitely known for my brawn rather than my brain. Um, so I knew <laughs> I had to play to my strengths. I was good at sport. I excelled at sport. But the other thing I could do was art. So ideally, I kind of needed to find something. It wasn't a case of wanted to find it. I kind of needed to find something which was creative, but also physical. Um, and, you know, I, I had a few options to me of army or whatever. I never did the military formally, although I ended up working with a lot of military over the years. But I, I kind of studied in art. I, I, I got my qualifications, went to art school, and then thought, what do I do? And then one day I, I met through a friend, another guy called Simon Niblett, who's a well-renowned documentary cameraman over here. And, um, and I met this guy and I just thought, yeah, he had Land Rovers, he had motorbikes, he was leaving to go to Africa uh, to work with David Attenborough, to doing wildlife, living in jungles for weeks on end with wild animals and I just thought this guy's living my dream literally because it's kind of he's doing a creative job with his camera but also he's got that physicality of having to survive in these environments while working and I just thought you know I want some of that so really I was very fortunate because I did find that job that I suited it and it suited me. Let's get to some of the the risk-taking I know you talked about, I think I read that you said one of the worst places is jungle because there's so much stuff that can kill you. 
But I started putting myself in your place thinking, not only can it kill you, but I've got to have backups. I've got to have batteries. I've got to have these, these other guys are worrying about themselves. I got to worry about myself, the, the equipment, all this stuff, the shot. I'm looking through an eyepiece while an anaconda is coming up my rear. You know, it's like, oh my God, is that the worst place to work the jungle? Yeah, I mean, personally, out of all the environments I've worked in, which is pretty much all of them now, I think the jungle is my least favorite. You get soaking wet from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk out, whether it's raining or whether it's just sweat. Pretty much everything is out there to kill you or to get inside you. And I've had a few, a few experiences of that as well. I had a bug live in my ear for three days, which drove me insane. I've been bitten by probably everything there is to bite you in jungles. It's a very, it's a beautiful place. But it's tough, really tough. It just saps all the life out of you. So, um, yeah, it, I, I guess the reward is high, but it's, it's a tough experience being there. But with jungle, it's just hard work. From the minute you go to the minute you come out, <sighs> it's worth it. Do they, have, do they have extraction points? Like if you get, so you're there, you're filming, you're looking in the eyepiece and a cobra bites you on the butt. Do they have an extraction point? Do they have anti-venom? Do they have stuff? Or is it, hey, Paul... Anybody you want us to say goodbye to, we'll text them right now? Like, what's the protocol there? No, we, we, have, we have people looking after us for a start. So we have, um, when we go into these places, we have a lot of ex-military guys who are in our safety team. And they have protocols. If something does happen, we have, you know, uh, good comms with each other uh, through walkie-talkies. But also we have satellite phones where we can, mm. you know, our safety team would have already been in touch with the nearest hospital to work out what the emergency plan is, should it all go yeah, bad. Yeah, the nearest hospital is Nairobi. Yeah, I have to say, I flag on the play because that seems like cheating. I'm going to go specifically to your work with Bear Grylls. Okay. Now, it seems to me that the premise of the Bear Grylls show is how would you survive in these extreme places? How do you handle these things? It seems to me if, a, if an anaconda bites Mungo... Or, or bear comes across a carcass and he goes, oh, I think I can eat this. And he eats a, you know, a piece of liver that's well past the expiration date. And he starts to get in trouble. The show should be, how do you survive now, hot shot? <laughs> yeah. Not with, I have 27 comms and I have a medical team and Did a military standing something? by. It's a, now, now you're off the premise. So, <laughs> you know, let's show the real thing. Well, let's, you know, you got bitten by an anaconda. You got nobody. <laughs> you're in the jungle, except you got bear there going, wow, mate, that's, that's, that, that's a bad the episode is called Bad Liver. Yeah. Well, there has been How times, does that work? There has been times when he's dropped his shopping on camera, where he's thrown up on camera, where he got stung by bees and then swelled up on camera. So to, you know, to a degree we have that. But, but obviously if it's, you know, it's only TV, right? I mean, it's not worth dying for. But let me ask you this too, because there was a controversy a little while back about that he was cushier I, I, I read something that said he was cushier and it was misrepresented. They felt it was misrepresented because he was staying somewhere. It wasn't the Ritz-Carlton, but he was staying somewhere that was covered where you're not going to get bitten by a snake, but gave the impression that he was out in the public. How did they address that? Well, they addressed it quite easily, actually. So the, the channel at the start of the show, they just added that, you know, the bear is, is, has the help of professionals while making the show, as does the crew. And he basically says... I'm going to show you how to survive, opposed to I am going to survive. It's as simple as that. Um, and it was, you know, I mean, that was a long time ago now, a long time ago. So right. uh, things have, you know, but ultimately, look, we're making a TV show. You know, it's not like he's really crashed <laughs> in a jungle. We're making a right. TV show. <laughs> yeah. so. Oh, don't break that wall but, for but, me. But Mungo, to that, to that extent, just to get a peek behind the scenes of, of making a show like that. So 
you know, like when he finds a, he's like, oh my God, I've, I found a hunk of rope. That's going to come in handy. And then sure enough, it sure does. Is that all pre-planned? Is the rope planted there? Or, or is he actually making discoveries and, and using things ad lib as he goes? A bit of both. To be honest, I mean, yeah, again, uh-huh. we're making TV and we've got a limited right. time in that location. We've got to make things work. And obviously we've got uh, safety to think of with the crew. So it's about, you know, we, we've got a journey in mind. Now working with Bear for 17 years now, I know that he will stick to the plan to a certain degree, but then he'll just go off because that's the way he is. And we just have to go with it. And, and obviously that's obviously a lot where the magic happens. Um, we're we're going along. We've thought about what the plan is with Bear, and we kind of make it all up as we go along. And then, obviously, you know, things like Running Wild. Then we bring a celebrity with us who then goes right. on the journey and experiences what we experience. And their and their reactions are real, right? Absolutely they don't know what's real. coming. Running Wild is an extraordinary series. I've done eight seasons of it now, and it never ceases to amaze me that they. These guys who are used to having an entourage with them, or at least their agent or their best friend, they literally get left. They have to come by themselves because a lot of what we do is close quarters in helicopters or going down slot canyons where you just can't have 100 people. And we've got very few people on the ground as well. We can't look after more people, basically. So we take these people literally out of their comfort zone. They've never done anything like it before. And their reactions are extraordinary. I mean, absolute euphoria most of the time as well as you know tangible terror can you imagine the ratings if if the if the headline was we killed wolf Ferrell"? it would be (laughs) me everybody would turn it to be for a couple of days yeah, and then they Everything, you're right. The you're new right. cycle was so fast. Yeah, the new Kardashian <laughs> episodes are on, and I, right, and I yeah. watch it. So, but yeah, but but to that, it's an instruction on how to do things well, how to do things safely. So I, I immediately, my Jewish mother's always in the back of my head going, why do they take the doors off the helicopter? That's not safe. Why do we start by creating a dangerous situation? If I'm in the helicopter, if I'm Will Ferrell in the helicopter with Bear, first thing I'm doing is go, where's the door? Yeah, put where's, the door. Where's this, why are we hanging out the, why are we hanging out the well, helicopter? The door, this is Will Ferrell one, there was a door. And it was a sliding door that slides back. <laughs> there you bet your ass because, there was. Because it was the Arctic. <laughs> but on, on many helicopters, they open out. So you just couldn't do that. It would be impossible. So you take the door off so that you can repel out of the side of the helicopter. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I'd be ready to repel. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> That's the safety reason so that you can repel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, hey, by the way, there are, there are 12 traits and characteristics of bold risk takers. Can I ask you and Jason? Yeah. Together, if you have these traits, you ready? Sure. You're comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm always uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable right now. Which is how you live. Well, it's mostly because, you know, you know. It travels. <laughs> you're up for a gamble. Always. Really? You're a gambler. See, now I'm a... He didn't mean literally. You're so literal. No, I'm not, gam- I'm not gambling with money. I'm gambling with my life. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm neither. I, now, I'm a poker player, so people go, oh, you're a gambler. And I go, no, I don't like to gamble. So, I like to play poker. But that's a little bit of risk. That's a, bit, a little bit of risk. Uh, you're being very kind. All right, what else? You're used to getting in trouble. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I like pushing boundaries. But I think sometimes rules are there for a reason. So, you know, tentatively, maybe. Okay. You, yeah, I don't like. I don't like. I don't like getting in trouble. I understand. I know. Your pers- in my in my twelve years of, of primary school, never went to the principal's <laughs> office. Oh man, I got in trouble never. all the time. Uh, I'm, say, you're, you're a person of action. You don't sit around. You can't sit. 
No, I struggle to sit. My wife says I'm like a Labrador. I need to get yeah. my exercise, and I need a lot of food. Yeah, That's my wrong. my wife says I'm I'm a little more like a French bulldog. I just <laughs> sit and eat. Pa- I I eat pastry. That's the the French part. And a seventeen year old French bulldog. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know what you want. You're pretty clear on what you want. Yeah. Yeah, I know what I want. And Not to do risks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You trust your gut. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not in the, not in his situations. I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't I, want to be with you on a hill. No, and I had to, you to trust your gut. Immediately, what we do I'd next. be going. Why am I on a hill? You trust your gut if you have experience. You're naturally curious. Yes, I am. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, you are to an extent. Am I? You not must that be. much. Not that much. You can brush <laughs> off failure. Um, I've got better at it over the years. I used to have very high standards, but then when you do fail, you pick yourself up and, you know, I, I, when I worked with the guy who taught me camera work, I remember I made some terrible mistakes while prepping kit. And as you know, because, you know, I know you've worked in TV and stuff, you understand that if a cameraman loses, you know, if he has one little bit of kit, it can jeopardize the whole shoot. So I made some massive mistakes while prepping kit when I was learning. But he said to me, uh, Simon said to me, I don't mind you making mistakes, but never make that same mistake twice, or I will mind. <laughs> so well, I to learned. that extent, when you are filming out in the wild and, and things are, are happening, but you're also, as you say, an artist, and you want it to look right, and you want it to look good. Is there ever a situation where essentially you have to turn to somebody like Bear and go, oh, sorry, mate, I missed the shot. Can you drink your own urine one more time? I miss it. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, I think, I think, you... to, to be honest, Jason, I think there are a lot of cameramen out there who are probably better than I am at camera work but i think the reason why i've been successful is because i do get that shot and hopefully you're a nice so the money shot you're, you're exactly. on. I, I mean bear knows yeah. I, th- I think in all honesty i reckon that in 17 years i reckon i could count on one hand the amount of times that i've said we didn't get it can we do it again yeah, yeah. Uh, so because of that he knows that if i do say it we really need it or he hasn't got a show this is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you've said jungles are the hardest, but is there is there a job you don't take? Is there a thing you wouldn't do? Is there just something yeah. where you go, I, I don't want that? You know what? Recently, I went to uh, Ukraine. He interviewed President Zelensky. And, wow. and I've got two boys now. I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And I just made the conscious decision with my wife was, you know, I just I just don't want to take that risk anymore. I, I've done war zones when I was single and younger. Um, and as Bear says, you know, we both say together that we realize that the older we get, hopefully the wiser we get. And we realize <laughs> that the less brave we become. And I think for me, it was a case of, you know, it would be amazing to meet him for sure. But yeah. What if that happened? Yeah, what if the worst happened and there was an airstrike or something? And right. and and I was sitting there looking at my little boy thinking, yeah, wh- why would I why would I do that just for a buzz now, you know, or just for yeah, a high yeah. paid job? It's like it's just you not bet. worth the risk. Curiously too, you're looking in the viewfinder, everybody's got a peripheral thing going, so you don't see stuff that's coming at you. Have you ever had that experience because yeah. you're getting a well, shot? It, it's funny because when you when you talk to crews, especially crews who do war zones, often the cameraman is the guy that can actually escape from what's going on around him. And I've used this mm. technique before in Africa, before in Rwanda, where you can put your eye in the viewfinder, close the other eye, and it's like you're watching a movie or watching TV because you're literally mm-hmm. watching a screen. Right. Whereas the sound man who's there is trying to capture the sound, which is sometimes grisly as well, but he can see everything. And often it's those guys that have the real trouble with, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, yeah, I was going to say, is, yeah. is PTSD and trauma part of the gig for, for most of these guys? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I, I mean, I, I remember when I came back from Rwanda, I was there just after the main genocide. But I came back and I was writing an invoice. And I kind of thought I'd got away with it, um, as in getting away with being too traumatized, even though it was pretty horrific, some of the stuff we saw. 
And then suddenly, when I was writing this invoice, I just broke down into tears, unexplainedly. And, um, and, and it, was just, it was just the release of the emotion of trying to right. deal with it. And often on cruise, when you're in these tough situations, often, um, the, I'm not saying this in a big-headed way, but more from the level of experience you have, often it's the cameraman that people look to to get you through and you very much are the leader of the technical team, but also your experience really helps with morale, et cetera, et cetera. So you're often kind of pulling people through these experiences. Wow. And then when you get to the other end, you're kind of like, wow, what just happened? You know, and that's when it all really hits you. Right. But, well, yeah. I've read stories too, Paul, about the cameraman and cops got shot. I mean, you don't realize the, how many people are at risk one one of the shows, a boat turned over. Sure. There's got to be a lot of stories like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where there have been disasters. Does that affect you? Does that go through the community real quick? It does. Yeah, it massively does. Yeah, hel helicopters crashing is our one because we use helicopters a lot uh, with Bear <sighs> oh, the whole time. It's, well, yeah, it's one of these kind of USPs, really. And when, when we know of helicopters that have gone down, it always sends a kind of shockwave through our team of like, yeah. you know, it's kind of a numbers game. Yeah, when you speak to the helicopter engineers, they talk about the Jesus bolt, which they call it the Jesus bolt because it's a bolt that holds the kind of propellers together on top. And I said to the guy once, yeah, why do you call it that? And he said, well, if that bolt goes, the next person you'll see is Jesus. Mala, <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if somebody listening was interested in getting into what you do and, and trying to go down that path, what's the way in? What, what's your suggestion? What do they need to know? What do they need to do or pursue? Well, Unfortunately for most, I think the media is still very much who you know, not what you know. Mm -hmm. um, I was very lucky in that I just met people at the right time, quite randomly, actually. But that's when I think, coming back to risk and the adventurous spirit, I think when doors open up, it's up to that person to push the door and really go for it and see, you know, explore what opportunities are there. I, had, I didn't have many options, really, so I was very fortunate that my door opened up to a you know, almost 30-year career. But I, I would say start at the basics. If you want to be in TV, if you love cameras, get to know the kit first. I, would, I always suggest to people that watch the shows that you love to watch and then watch the credits, see who make those shows, and then contact mm. the companies and just say, look, I, I'm here. I've got a massive desire for it. This is maybe what I've done. I've got a little bit of experience or I'm trying to get experience. Sometimes I'll give my time for nothing for a few weeks so that I can come and meet you. And also, I think the biggest tip that I always say is don't just send a CV, don't just send an email or a letter, but try and get face-to-face -face meetings with people. Right. Would you suggest... I have one more question, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, because I, I heard a, a tidbit. Oh, you're handy. Oh, go ahead. I had a heard go. a tidbit. And th this, to me, is a really no really. Somewhere in your background, I understood, with all the things, crazy things you've done, that somewhere when you were in Laos... You found occasion to eat uh, a dog's penis. <laughs> yeah. True or not true? Really? No, really. Because, by the way, for me and Jason, we're out at that. I'm, looking, <laughs> I'm becoming an accountant. I'm becoming uh, a dentist at that point. I'm rethinking my career. Yeah. This was at a, tri a tribe offered it to you, right? Yeah, it was. A, it was a tribe that we were filming up in uh, the uh, mountainous area of of Laos, and part of their the elder men. They, it was their tradition to give the groom. An aphrodisiac. It was a wedding. Oh, this story. was a wedding ceremony. Oh, it's a wedding. Oh, you don't oh, just this give was dark a special occasion. This was a big deal. Okay. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. And, but yeah, I hasten to add that it didn't taste like chicken. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't still attached to the dog. 
Unfortunately, oh, any garni yeah. that they uh, do with it, uh, like a wine that goes well with a uh, dog, no, riesling, no. a nice riesling. And no, unfortunately, no. it wasn't a great Dane. It was just a little dog. So I, why do you mean unfortunately? Oh, you mean no, fortunately, fortunately it was so it was a dog, a dog nugget. Yeah. So do you have? If you didn't eat it, would it evict you from the tribe? No, no. But I mean, you know, sometimes on these things, you're gonna you're gonna judge, you know, when it's right to kind of play along and when it's not. I mean, sometimes. To be honest, I've kind of you know done stuff and thrown it over my shoulder. But then when they're not oh. looking, ah, it sounds like a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, <laughs> good so, God. so I, good in, God. In, in closing, I got to ask you this: yep. What your take is on? If you look at the science of risk taking, it's, it's interesting because there are theories. A, it's about bored people who have endorphin rushes, and that's the sports junkies, the ex, the, sure. even the the jackass guys. Mm -hmm. There's an adrenaline rush that comes with it, and you can't get enough of that, and your downtime. So it's worth it to take a risk, that's one theory. Another theory is that genetics play some part into it. Another theory is it's people who, believe it or not, want to be in control, and that gives you a degree of control. And there's another theory that says it's mental illness, and extreme people should be checked because there may be a degree of mental illness going on there. And I'm not saying it's a joke, it's why would you take a risk, yeah. especially if the benefit versus loss, I get benefit in your case, yeah, you take the risk, you got a TV show. Mm -hmm. Evil Knievel, the risk is he's going to get paid $6 million and jump the canyon. The guys jumping off their roofs in a cape mm -hmm. are not, there's, it's just stupid. Mm -hmm. There's The risk is downside. Does any of that resonate with you yeah, or I, multiple? I think all of them do, to be honest, to a degree. I think genetically, my grandfather was a Spitfire pilot in the Second World War. So he, so he was bang up for a bit of, you know, he was 19 years old and flying over France. I've definitely got that in my DNA. My great-grandfather was a missionary in China at the turn of the century. And in those days, you know, it wasn't just pith helmet. It was like really, I think they ran for their life three times from the Boxer Rebellion. I think, um, what were the other ones? Um, about the being in control. I, yeah, I heard mental health issues. That's I'm what I to heard. Uh, I'm to okay. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the being in control thing is that I, I like to problem solve and I like the fact that there's a challenge. So we want to go here. We want to do this massive stunt. Can we make it work? I love being in the leadership part of a team to work that out. There you go. But that's through age, isn't it? And just have of experience mm -hmm. of thinking there have been too many times where I sit there when I was uh, when I was younger and just thought this could be so much better if we did it this way, not in a cocky cool. way, but just creatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think leading in that sense of control would be, and and I I totally get the the mental health thing as in weighing up the balance of risk, and that's why I say that Bear and I both say these days that you know the older you get the, the the less brave you are and i think you know i look at my son and i think why you know why would i go there just to get this kind of sexy right. credit more to lose or, yeah. Yeah. by the way i don't know i don't know what kind of insurance you have but we just got a note from producer laura that after you revealed that you taught your five-year-old how to do fire your insurance rate doubled it, just, <laughs> it went up so you want to call your carrier um by the way can you get insurance uh, they say, well, well, have you done anything risk-taking? Do you smoke? Do you do this? Smoke. It's, I know, I, I know. I, I struggled for years, actually, to get life insurance because I just ticked every box because I had to. Will you ever go to a war zone? Will you ever fly in helicopters? Will you ever be mountaineering oh, or climbing? It's like, the answer is yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> Irv from State Farm's well, calling. Yeah. 
Paul, let me say, it has been a joy to spend time with you. I hope Likewise. I am never engaged with you professionally because it means I am doing something really wrong. And frankly, given your, your dinner proclivities and what you will allow, I'm not sure I even want to share a meal with you. But other than that, You're always I have had a fantabulous time. <laughs> You're fascinating, Paul. If you, if you look up, he's got some, a couple of books out. Check out his books. Congratulations. And by the way, you're going to need good luck with the five-year-old. So yeah. we should do an episode. Laurie, if this goes years right down... Five, six, seven, eight. Like three, four years from now, let's check in with Mungo. And the episode is called "Give Teaching Your Kid Fire." See how see how that went. Yeah. Well, we used to live in Bristol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we really. used to live in the house. Paul, exactly. <laughs> real pleasure, man. Thank uh, you. You're, you're you're fascinating, and Bear Grylls owes you a lot. I'll tell you that. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a good mate. I've done well on the back of him as well, so I owe him a lot. <laughs> there you go. And that means something very different here in the states, but we understand <laughs> yeah. the gist. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. 
So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That was amazing, and I want to find out about really your biggest risk. Oh, do you? When we come, yeah, I'd okay. like to hear. Uh, Googleheim, though, checks in at this point in every episode to tell us what we got right, what we got wrong, what we need some clarity on. Yes, Mr. Googleheim? Do you notice the motorcycle helmet next to... Next to Mungo. I oh, saw yo, the please. motorcycle helmet, and I was happily. Yeah. I was actually very happy he wears a helmet. He wears a helmet. There you go. I think that was. But you know what? That was very responsible. But did you notice? It's like on CNN when you're a scholar, they have all the books and stuff. He yeah. had the helmet. Yeah. He had another death-defying thing. He had some boots that you only wear if you're on I the moon. I think the helmet is there because his five-year-old is is, is, a, <laughs> is a life-threatening <laughs> factor in his home. Well, we're we're gonna get to that. I I did want to start with something that we sort of led with. That uh, Jason uh, was saying that the West Coast drivers, especially the LA drivers are particularly bad at driving in wet weather. Is that true? Well, according to LA Magazine, they spoke to Paul Pisano, who manages road weather programs for the Federal Highway Administration, and he studied the topic, and he said that LA drivers are, are not unique in their inability to handle wet roads. They're about average as far as poor weather conditions across the country. Okay. All right. yeah, I don't know the Paul. Well, but there are more of them. So maybe Paul, we're not in Washington. Paul's a self-described expert. What does he know? Where's he, where's he getting his it's stats? It's the Federal Highway Administration. It's government. It's the government. Uh, please. You don't, know what? Get, don't get high for looting with the Federal Highway. Studies. The 800 it's episodes we do. What, 800 episodes we do, Guggenheim, any expert that you quote that disagrees with Jason, even if they're yeah, the most, already. The most right. amazing expert Look, with experience, it's, it's, they're no good. I, I don't they're need no an expert. I don't need a federal program. Get in the car with me when it's raining. I will show you. Don't get in the car. He crawls. This is what <laughs> oh, I live please. with. This is what the expert all, says. Who's your expert? Is, you are doing that for comedy purposes. <laughs> I am an excellent driver, to quote Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man. I am an excellent driver, for God's sake. If you need to be there fast... If oh, Federal please. Express would be, if it has to be there next morning or noon or maybe dinner time, we guarantee oh, sure. it. Okay, very good. You happy there now? You, you made your little comedy? I'm never happy. You made you. your little comedy? I'm never happy. You threw me under the bus? Uh, <laughs> Apparently the slow-moving bus. Is that, you happy? All right, what else, Mr. Guggenheim? Hopefully Mungo watches this episode when it comes out because children playing with fire set more than 20,000 fires every year in the United States. That's an average of almost 400 fires each week. And by the way, did you notice? You noticed something that I, that I did? I didn't want to. I wanted to move on. There's so, this show could go seven hours because Jason oh and I, I kind of listen and you don't miss a trick. Yeah. He taught the five-year-old matches. Yeah. To set, not the seven. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right? The show almost veered into a parenting episode. Yeah. Right off the start. But if he didn't teach the seven-year-old because he he couldn't handle it, I'm sure the five-year-old's never <laughs> going to show the seven-year-old. Hey, different children have different talents. <laughs> you know, it's a different thing. I love the kid was going to throw yeah. himself off the banister and I've never yeah. been proud of And tethered himself to the banister. I wanted to say, by the belt, by the neck. What did he But different did he, than you and me. Who's teaching him knots? You That's, and Dana, you know, you, you'd be screaming at your kid. He's going, you shouldn't do it, but good knot. Yeah, right, exactly. Anything else, Mr. Guggenheim? The final one is uh, we were sort of talking about how many people have perhaps perished in the production of reality programs. There are right. oh, six yeah. different reality shows that have unfortunately claimed people's lives. Mm. Oh, my. 
the most famous is the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin, who was killed by a stingray when he was shooting a show on the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. Discovery Channel had yeah. some issues. MTV's Buck Wild, unfortunately, there was a carbon monoxide uh, poisoning issue with an SUV stuck in the mud. There were some helicopter issues, Oof. some swimming issues, heart attacks, and things of that nature. You know, what you may mm. have not known in prepping for this episode, I'm looking up Cameron to find like guys who were in jeopardy and the guy who was with Steve Irwin when that happened, that Ray was six feet wide. So you can imagine size. And I didn't know this. It jabbed him repeatedly and got his heart on one of them. And the thing is huge. But I didn't realize the guy's there while he's being jabbed and they pull Steve Irwin in the boat and they're saying, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. I, didn't know, I didn't know the thing kept going at him, that it was one after the other, like six times it stabbed him. Oof, that's huge. And the cameraman, yeah. what's the cameraman going to do? You know, yeah, you talk about no, PTSD. You're, 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 that's what he's talking about, is that it, it's like being in a war zone. That's why I don't go in the water. That's yeah. why I don't go swimming. So you're not a risk taker, is that what you're saying? Uh, so my biggest, you want to know my biggest risk? Sure. This is the truth. So my biggest risk was I, I got called to come out here to LA to do radio from Philly. And it was a big deal because I was working in my own little ad agency in Philadelphia. And I, my father had just died. My mom was really sick. My marriage was breaking up. So I had a lot of stuff going on. I moved out here. And I did okay. My family ended up moving back to Philly, which was really tough because I'm by coastal. I got to go back and forth. And after they moved, I'm sitting in this big rented house. Everything's gone because I gave everything to the family. And I'm sitting on a mattress with a TV with an antenna in it made out of a hanger. And I ordered dinner, chicken parmesan. And it comes and there's no silverware. So I'm sitting on a mattress, divorced with my dead dad in a new world. I don't know anybody out here eating chicken parmesan with scissors and crying and laughing because it's efficient. You can cut it, but you can use them as chopsticks and thinking, oh, Lord, if this is not the bottom, I don't know that I can go much further. But the risk of, of coming out, of, of changing your world, up, uprooting your life, I think was my biggest risk. And being a no guy who says no automatically to stuff, it's amazing that I, that I did that because I didn't realize how significant that was going to be, but I would have never met you and never had the opportunity to do the things I did. I'm very moved by your story, and I'm very impressed by your story, but the notion of... That's your by risk. By the way, producer Laura's laughing. You know her big, biggest risk? This. You saying yes to my phone yeah. call. That was right. Is that is that pretty pretty large? Scale of one to ten? Do you have a risk? Did you have a risk? Um, I don't know. Never took a risk. I'm afraid of everything. Sure, that's risky. You have to sign a waiver. Anything where you have to sign oh, so a that's waiver. So your biggest risk? Anything. No, it's not. But I don't like anything where I have to sign a waiver. I already go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you tried this? Did you do it successfully? Now, are you advocating I do something you didn't do? So if you got through it, I should get through it. And you should guarantee that on paper. Really? No, really. That's exactly you know, how you're I You're the rule. big risk hitting that bell. She is going to floor you. She hates that thing. It's no, like, but here's why I don't think yours was a risk. Because this is how what, if you had you stayed, what if you had stayed in Philadelphia? That's a bigger risk. You want to hear a risk? I took a risk. Here it is. Here's the risk. Ladies I took gentlemen, a drum risk. roll. Boom. Now, first of all, you know that I have a terrible fear of heights, and I really am risk averse. But I have, I've done hang gliding, I've done parasailing, I've done helicoptering, I've so done all that idiot. kind of stuff. But here's the biggest risk I ever took, seriously, and I'm very serious about this. I was working for an organization in the Middle East that was trying to work on a peace initiative between Israelis and Palestinians. It had a Palestinian board. It had an Israeli board. I had gone several times. And all of our meetings had been on the Israeli side. Palestinian members had joined us in Israel, but, but it had always been on the Israeli side. And they said, we would appreciate it if Mr. Alexander would come 
into the Palestinian territories. And my immediate response was, uh-huh, uh, I'm an American Jew. How much risk am I actually taking? I re- and I really did think that it, it could be a risky situation. Many things happened. It was extraordinary. But one of them was that my Palestinian host said, please understand, in our faith, one of the greatest sins is if a host allows harm to come to an invited guest. We will literally take bullets for you if it came down to that. And I went into several Palestinian cities. In, in Ramallah, I was having lunch with a bunch of Palestinian artists, actors and artists, and there was a raid going on three blocks away, and we could hear gunshots. And the minute those gunshots happened, those gentlemen surrounded me. They were not kidding. They would take a bullet to make sure that I was protected. But there was a moment where two gentlemen were talking about a, um, a youth center that they had built, and they were very excited about it. And they said, would you like to see it? I said, I would. And they said, oh, it's just, it's outside the door. Would you come? And I go, I don't tell anybody. I don't tell my handlers. I get up with these two gentlemen I've been having a lovely lunch with. And I go out the door and down an alley and down a flight of stairs and half a block. And I'm thinking, I'm dead. an idiot. Yeah. I'm a dead Never man. Seen me again. That's it. Goodbye. I'm a news story right now. And what happened? We saw the youth center. It was very nice. They walked me back. I had a lovely lunch. And I got to ask you this before we wrap. <laughs> Wherever you go in the world, did they know George Costanza? Yes, they do. That was the biggest thing in the world. So we pulled into Ramallah. I'm, I am keeping my head down thinking, you know, I don't, I make no assumptions here. And I got out and there were street vendors. And, and some street vendor, you know, on the street goes, George, George, Costanza. And people come running over and they wanted photos. And just like anyway, and I, my assumption was, a, that they wouldn't get the program there, literally, figuratively, literally not get it, but also not understand you it. You know what's amazing? And they, they would just, and they You're thinking the show. in the Middle East, anywhere, they're going, oh, here's Kramer's entrance. And by the way, <laughs> do you, have you ever watched before, uh, Seinfeld is such a nuanced thing. Yeah, right. When they have a voice actor in another country, oh, have you ever seen? Is it, I did, have. Do they get the Georges I right? Do have, they do it right? I've seen. I've seen myself done by a, a Japanese actor. And does it sound? Even though you don't know the language, well, there's a lot of so Japanese. I, I assume I don't speak any Japanese. It seems like there's a lot more syllables in any given word. So that guy's got to go fast. I'm going serenity now, and he's going. You know, he's got to get a lot in to my two little lip flaps. Wow. So it is, by its very nature, a much more aggressive What a bizarre thing. I, I just I wonder if it translates, because it's so hard to do comedy and nuance. Yeah, sure. I can't timing. tell him he's funny. I can only tell you I they're working on I want to see the sign where you, you, where, you, where you had sex with the maid. Yeah. The cleaning lady. And you're sitting across from the guy. That scene I want to see played out in a yeah. foreign country <laughs> right. with a long pause. And you go, your line was? Was that wrong? Was that yeah, wrong? Right, exactly. And you had to wait for yeah. it. Well, there you go. That's our risk. That's our show. Uh, what do you think? Will you? Are you inclined to take uh, more of a risk now that you met Munga? Like he said, as you get older, yeah. lunch, a lunch choice is a risk. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Could be a bad claim. Yeah, lying right. down, sitting down fast right. is a risk. And getting up, getting up. Opening a car door and looking around is a risk. You bet. You know you. what I mean? Trying a different hairstyle, trying something different with the hair. Really? Really? No, really. We want to thank Mungo Paul Munjim for being with us today. 
fascinating life. He's written a bunch of books, Mungo the Cameraman, Adventure Celebrity, and Extreme Travel as Seen from Behind the Lens, and also Mungo Living the Dream, More Extreme Adventures of a TV Cameraman. And you can find out more about him and see some of his amazing work in front of the camera at mungotv.com. You can follow him on Instagram, at Mungo the Cameraman, on Twitter, at Mungo Manjim. You can find us online at reallynoreally.com or on Instagram and TikTok at reallynoreallypodcast. For questions and suggestions, you can message us on Instagram. If you send us one of your Really No Reallys, we may just do it on the show. Most of all, thank you and thank you for listening and subscribing and sharing our show. We're also on YouTube. Please subscribe and rate us there. We release new episodes of Really No Really every Tuesday. So follow us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a production of iHeartRadio and Blase Entertainment. Yes, it is. Peter, be safe. God bless. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.